everybody. This is John Ubaldi with Ubaldi Reports. With me, as always, is my great friend, Joe Bitts, fellow Marine, combat wounded Marine, and like I said, great friend. So how's it going, Joe? Great, John. Let's see. I got a story somewhere. No, of course you do. You always got a story. Yeah, I know. It's just kind of been like a really a blah kind of week, especially with a hurricane. It was just like, oh, they want to like nothing happened. It was just I like know. I knew that I talked to a friend of mine. She lives down in Lehigh Acres and she was a lifelong Floridian. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, this is nothing. This is just a regular storm. Don't fret. I don't think we do anything unless it's like a category three. Exactly. So and, we're good. And then oh, we had the lightning win, the Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Lightning won. Back to back. It was the first team to do it in 20 years. The one thing I'm glad the Lightning did do is because last year of the pandemic, a lot of the, the restaurants, bars, sports clubs, they were unable to sell to have that fan appreciation. This way they made some money. They can at least get ahead of everything. So that's kind of nice that they did that. Yeah, and it was like it was great because Florida was never closed from the pandemic we did our two weeks like we said we were going to do and that was it Uh, yeah the governor did a pretty good job he just opened it up responsibly and he put parameters and i talked to my brothers they live out in california and washington and they're they've been shut down almost the whole time there was like start spit it's just stop and start and it just kills business yeah that's something that kind of seemed odd to me over the past couple of days like looking at the so i handle a bunch of wall street journals and the new york times and stuff like that is and before we go into what i want to talk about is there like a so we have a chain of command being in the military if little old private joe wants to talk to somebody very important or even like the general or the commandant of the marine corps they has to use what we call the chain of command which just like I have to talk to a fire team leader, fire team leader has to talk to a squad leader, has to talk to the platoon sergeant, platoon commander, blah, 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 blah. It just keeps on going up and up until you talk to the person that you want to talk to. Do we have, does, is there something or anything like that within the United States, like a mayor shouldn't just be able to go up and talk to the president? Is there like a sort of chain of command? Like she talks to the congressional representative, the representative, then talks to the senator, then makes no, it to no, the president. it's not like that. Now, a mayor is not going to just get on the phone to the president. But it, it seemed like that, though. In what respect? Was with Lori Lightfoot. And now, that is something different because Lori Lightfoot is a prominent Democrat from the third largest city in America. So she's going to be able to call the president as what she wants. If the mayor of Tampa called in, maybe she might get through. Maybe she wouldn't. There's no it's not a big issue. Because crime is such a big issue in the United States right now, especially in Chicago, like I said, the third largest city, it has national implications. That's when their message is going to get through or not get through. Now, does it have anything to do or related to anything with the uptick in crime that has happened over the past weekend? Well, a lot of it is you have to go back to the last number of years, but really it took a, a hold after the George Floyd killing by Derek Chauvin. And everybody said that was reprehensible. We even mentioned it on this program. It was reprehensible. But there was a movement to defund the police, disavow police, realter the police. So a lot of cities across the country, mainly in Democratic cities like New York, Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Oakland just recently took out $17 million from the police budget. And their crime rate has been surging. Yeah. So you have that aspect. 
Then the second aspect is when they did bail reform, like in New York State, Albany, the capital of New York, did bail reform. So basically, they're letting people out. People are charged with a crime. They just, and out they go. So I think I read somewhere or someone stated, and I haven't verified this, but 80% of all gun arrests, they're they're re-released right back out. And then you have different various cities like Chicago and New York put restrictions on the law enforcement, what they can and can't do. Like in Chicago, they have restrictions about you have to get permission if you're to go after somebody, to chase somebody. So then you have like in San Francisco with the, the district attorney's office, they're not charging anybody for really for misdemeanor crime. So if you want to take a LED screen, a flat screen TV or something, as long as it's under $950, out you go. That's why you see a lot of the box stores like in San Francisco, Walgreens closed 17 of them in five years because of a huge amount of theft. Now, is it just in the San Francisco area or is it? No, that's uh, all over. That's California. California That's all California. But then you have things in Washington state. My brother tells me in Seattle, they're not charging anybody for quality of life crimes, which leads to bigger and bigger crime down the road. Look what happened in New York City. I think it was just last week. There was a Marine who was just being a tourist, was shot in the back. And the person that turned himself in was 16 years old. So I would ask is, where are the parents of that 16-year-old kid? It's just like in a couple of weeks ago, there was an article in the Minneapolis Tribune. And if you read through it, then you get about halfway. And he says that my African-American father grew up in Jim Crow South. Then I knew it was from an, the author was African-American. But he said is, we can blame white America for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But where if you have a 14-year-old child, like the one who was shot by a police officer in Chicago with a gun, What's a 14-year-old doing out at 2 o'clock in the morning hanging around with a 22-year-old? I did maybe want to dovetail this over to like critical race theory because that's still a hot topic right now. Oh, yeah, and, that's huge. And so we talked, who was the guy that we talked to from California about school? Oh, Lance Christensen. He uh, works for I, an educational think tank out there. And then I think one of the biggest problems we saw when it comes to education was the actual teachers union, right? Exactly. The because teachers they, the, unions control everything. And now, so the teachers union is actually instilling the critical race theory curriculum into there's a teacher's union i don't know what state it is right now but it's trying to instill the critical race theory into almost fourteen thousand school i'm not sure what state that is but that's going on there's a big fight up in uh, virginia right now over critical race theory. i know the governor of florida did there's 14 states that banned it mm-hmm. and the second largest teachers union and i can't think of what that t- teachers union is right now but She said, we're not teaching it, but then there's, there are teaching it. So they've been ambivalent and it's ironic. Jonathan Turley, who I regularly reference on these programs, he said, listen, I got it. They want to teach about segregation and about um, slavery, but that's only one aspect. And what Jonathan Turley had said is I've seen the curriculum. And it's very disturbing. And it basically paints you into two categories. If you're a minority, you're a victim. You'll always be seen as a victim. And if you're white, oppressor. So if you're teaching that to children, they think, what did I? My family wasn't in this. We weren't even here in America yet. Yeah. I didn't grow up in the Jim Crow era. I wasn't even born really yet. So 
they take, like I stated in a previous podcast, they take history and they twist it. Like they said, for a critical race theory, the Revolutionary War was about slavery. The Revolutionary War was nothing to do with slavery. It had everything to do with taxation. That's why the phrase taxation without representation. This was a way for the British to pay for the war, the French-Indian War in the late 17th, I mean, excuse me, in the late 1750s. So they said, we'll just tax the colonies. They don't get a vote. So that's where that whole thing came out of. And it just spiraled from there. Yeah, I just, it's something that I don't understand why people are fighting so hard for. And it seems like it's more, it's okay. Ironic as it may seem, more black people are against it versus more white liberal people being for it. How does that? Well, yeah, that makes no sense to me because I think they see they're directly implicated for the policies that a lot of these progressives want to pursue. Yeah. And what I've mentioned many times, we talk about the, the surge in crime, but you also have if we're just looking at the police side or the gun side, we're missing the point. We see a lack of family structure. Like I said, that 16-year-old kid who turned himself in for shooting that Marine. What's a 16-year-old kid running around the streets? And I would talk to the, te- the teachers. I think that's. I think 16 is a little bit different, especially growing up in a city. I think there's a little bit more. Yes, he's still considered not an adult, but I think them being out when they weren't supposed to is one thing. The 14-year-old, I think I, I can argue that too. If they were under, I would say 12. But yeah, there's no. There still needs to be parents around in order. But but we also figured that was also. I think parenting is maybe the key to having better or more, I won't say disciplined, but lower crime because you have parent involvement. You do, but there's parental involvement. Then there's also, which I've been focusing on for months, is the policies in these cities. Like now there was a Wall Street Journal senior editor. He mentioned, we got to watch how we do about paint Chicago, New York, all Democrats. They're all Republican cities that are run by Republicans have high crime rates. I think he mentioned Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I looked up. And Tulsa, we know about the Tulsa race riots in the 1920s. But I also looked up the listing of all the mayors and their party affiliation from Tulsa. It has currently a Republican mayor, but it also has had Democratic mayors in a short time frame from each. When you go to Chicago, take Chicago, for instance, it hasn't had a Republican mayor in 90 years. Then you go to New York, the Giuliani, Bloomberg. You go to, let's say, um, San Francisco. You go back to the early 60s. Minneapolis goes back to 1968. So all these cities go back 50, 60 years. And Atlanta, they go back to 1879. And so those cities control or their mayors control every aspect of city. Okay, but why is that? Why? Where is the whole? Is there Democrats have better marketing when it comes to being mayor of that area? Or where's this this coming from? I just I'm just trying to figure out. Could be that could be demographical changes, demographical moves. A lot of it during the 60s was called white flight, white individuals and those affluent blacks moved out of the city to the suburban areas and let people who couldn't move out stay in out. And then it was failed policies of the, the government and it's bigger government, more government handouts, more social government of social programs that just don't work. And I just, I can't, there's a lot I'm trying to just gain. Like, why is it that urban areas are demographically democratic? 
Or what we could do is that may be an answer for one of our next podcast is bring back Scott McDonald, who's look. I've talked to him every day yeah. and he's looking at this and we could ask him, why is urban center more democratic and suburban areas and especially the rural communities are more Republican? That may be something that. Yeah, because if you didn't, I guess the majority of the votes, if they're coming out of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago. And then other towns, Atlanta, then going down to Florida, Miami, Tampa, Orlando, maybe Orlando. But no, a lot of major cities are under Democratic control and majority of their votes are coming from those cities. It could be a combination. Like if New York got its wish about separating itself from New York City when it comes to electoral votes, New York would be a red state through and through well that's like california if california would pull away from the urban centers it would be a red state that may be something i'll get back with you guys we'll follow up the next podcast i'll ask scott mcdonald why is it that urban centers are more democratic it'd also be look at the democratic voting base if you were a college educated individual whether man or woman you typically are going to vote democrat if you have a high school diploma or minimal college or you work in the blue collar field you're typically going to be a Republican. But ducktailing back to the rising crime, a lot of these communities have horrible educational system. I've talked to it until I'm blue in the face where 70% of black and Hispanic kids cannot do math or English to grade level. That was pre-pandemic and it's got to be worse now. And then when they passed Dodd-Franks, they eliminated all the regional banks because they had to have so much revenue and reserve. So they all had to merge. And that took the banks out of the, the inner city that knows the community. Why can't they be a bank for the community by the community that helps invest back into their same city? Yeah. So there's a lot of issues, but the president and Democrats are strictly focused like a laser beam on the gun issue. And if they focus on that and not fix these other problems, they're never going to solve it. And it's not the police issue. It's the prosecutors are not prosecuting. They're letting them out. They're playing. A lot of these progressive prosecutors got elected with the help of George Soros, and they're not prosecuting anybody. Almost all the rioters last year, their charges were dropped. That that sends a signal. We can do what we want. And when you say George Soros and then people can maybe or some people speculate that's just like a rumor or that's like a conspiracy theory. But you are very factual and you don't say that. And then but so George Soros is paying prosecutors not to prosecute. He's not paying them to not to prosecute. He's electing. He's helping elect progressive prosecutors who feel that if we can't get criminal justice reform through the legislative process, we'll do it at the district attorney's office because we're the ones that bring charges and try these individuals. So a lot of the district attorneys in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Seattle, New York are not charging, even Philadelphia, they're not charging anybody for these crimes. But what does he or what does that area gain by not? or not being or not having an elected official that likes to prosecute doesn't that just turn your city into into well, crime? the progressives look at it they look at it far different they just think well there must be some socioeconomic reasons why this person committed a crime we all know there are bad people in the world we in the marines fought bad people there are evil people in american life they don't they're they don't care about it they don't They'll rob, steal, do everything, unless someone says you can't do that and holds them accountable. 
So if you're not held accountable, look what happened in San Francisco at Nima Marcus. A, booth, a bunch of group of gangs came in and started a shoplifting and it's like a snatch and grab and snatch. They ran in, grabbed a bunch of bags and left. But if you don't prosecute anybody, it's just going to get worse and worse. Is there like a morality issue involved in here anywhere? Or is it just mostly cities and their political leaders? I think it's a morality issue. People need to be held accountable for doing wrong things. Their societal norm, stealing is wrong. And if you don't hold anybody accountable, they steal. Okay. You've got a child. Yeah. Excuse me. You got three kids. You got an older daughter who's in college, a son that's what, fourth grade, fifth. And then you got a daughter pre-K? Kindergarten. Okay. Take your son and take all three of your kids. When Or like your daughter, she's going into kindergarten. If she does something wrong, do you let her get away with it? Absolutely not. So uh, wait, are we talking about my oldest or my youngest? Your youngest. Has she has this thing over me? No, I, you know, I've been around your kid. You're enough of them. There's always like that. But you're, when your daughter does something wrong, yeah. she's held accountable. I don't maybe don't hold her as accountable as if my son did the same thing, though. Okay, but that's okay. But for the most part, you hold your kids accountable for their actions. So what your daughter or son does at five and 10, and if you don't hold them accountable, then what happens when your daughter's 10 and your son is 15, Hmm. he's going to do something worse and then it gets worse. So if you don't, if they shoplift and you don't hold them accountable, the next thing is going to be worse and worse and worse until you have lawlessness in these cities. And now you see a lot of communities where people can't walk around freely. That's why they, the FBI reported that out of all the background checks for first-time firearm users, half of them are women because they're scared to death. So I had an idea or even... I just thought it'd be good. Okay, so remember in the Marines when one person screwed up, we all screwed up and then we would all pay for... Okay, and I would like to see... And mostly if there is a lack of parental uh, guidance or supervision when it comes to this person like from the age they're responsible for this individual from the age of when they're born to 18 because technically they're not an adult until they're 18 they can get emancipated but the, we're just kind of now we're just cut. when if that person commits a crime between the ages of zero which is let's be realistic more like maybe 10 11 to 18 why cannot why can we not hold the parents responsible almost to the point where guess what kid you're not going to get five years in jail your parents are like what is that is that wrong of me to think is that a little bit more that's it is that some fascist extremist but there's things afoot on that if your kid doesn't go to school the parents can be hold responsible for child neglect not educating your child. Remember la- our la- last episode where we were talking about that one discus or shot put or hammer oh, yeah, thrower. Yeah. And hammer. yeah, and we related to her some that there was some woman in North Korea who defected, but she said, look, if someone in North Korea defected or disrespected Korea like she did America, not only would she die, but her parents would be put into an internment camp or some kind of camp for the eight generations, not eight years, eight generations. Your great grandkids might see some freedom. Here's an example. I work at Chick-fil-A and one of the guys I work with, he's 
been there about a month or so. He's from Cuba. And this is, we were talking right before 4th of July. And he goes, I don't get you Americans. You have all this freedom, but then you complain that about it. You want to go back to socialism. That's what I left. If you want to see totalitarianism, go to Cuba, go to Venezuela. I've been all over the world and I've seen things. And it's ironic that we talk about America systemically racist, but yet why do millions of people around the world want to come to a systemically racist country? Nobody's answered that question. Because you're okay. Because not you, because we can we can see linear or actually see through the media. The only reason why America is, quote, systemically racist is because we have the Democrats and we have the news media saying that America is systemically racist. I wouldn't say we're not racist. Okay, there are pockets of racism still in here. And it's one of those things that it's generational where hopefully it will eventually die out. Yeah, but see, but here's the point. The policies of these individuals perpetuate that. They talk about like school choice. They're all against, but they're all for private, excuse me. They're all for public school, except for their kids. They're all for open borders, but they have Nancy Pelosi, Diane Feinstein, Mark Zuckerberg. They all have gates and armed security around their homes. They're all about defund the police, but they have police guard in their homes and private security. The peasants don't have that. So their policies are like, they're all like, like I keep mentioning, I know you're rolling your eyes again on this one, but when they talk about education, why do seven, no one's answered this. Why do 70% in blue state, solid blue cities in blue states, black and Hispanics cannot do math to grade level or English to grade level? They don't have the answer to that because oh. that, that's not their concern. They're, they're taking a top down approach where they should do a bottom up approach when it comes to, I don't, you say, oh, well, you're not, okay, in general, systemically racist, they're saying, but I think that's just, that is garbage that I think in a sense, white middle-aged women, white middle-aged women are grabbing onto this and running through it saying, I must be racist and I got to do whatever I can. And then whatever I see racist, I got to make sure I let everybody else know. But the thing is that I can walk down the street and I have an eclectic mix of friends. And not only when I'm delivering mail, I see an eclectic mix of everybody. And it's never we're side-eyeing each other or we're like, oh, no, we're it's it's a polite nod. It's a wave. And we go on. How is that? And I, I don't want I don't think I'm the only person doing that. I think it's common through everybody but just because you have some white guy saying we live in a systemically racist society everybody's oh he must be right he's the president of the united states so why not a lot of it has to do with politics it's because racism brings up a very it's a very deep and offensive word someone like what they do now i know i mentioned jonathan turley the constitutional scholar all the time but he, he wrote a piece about this and i think it was in the hill and he talked about our free speech is gone. If someone disagrees with you, you call them a racist because that's a highly charged word. You don't know if he's racist. You're just throwing it out. Yeah. And that's a word you cannot come back from no. because we live in a society that you, if someone says you're a racist, you're a racist. And if you say you're not a racist, well, guess what? You're a racist. So how so do I prove? But Joe, how do we prove we're not a racist? The what answer. do I do? bring out all my minority friends? Nope, nope, nope. Because that makes you racist. Okay. Would you say that? You are not inherently racist. You're not, you don't 
you're not it's not in your genes to say i don't like this particular no i don't buy that okay so you would have to say that race is taught to you no matter what so the way you can prove that you were not a racist, you're going to have a little difficulty doing this, but you, you have cousins and stuff like that, is yeah. that you have to look at your the person's children. If their children are very, have an eclectic mix of friends and hang out with multiple, including men and women, are, are different, you know, boys and girls, black, Hispanic, Asian, that should be an indicator for the person or people that are saying you're a racist to saying that you're not racist because your children are direct reflection. If you're a racist, that means someone taught you. And if someone taught you, you're going to teach someone else in your family. So I would think that before I say you say someone's racist, if their kids are hanging out together by the pickup truck with a Confederate flag, then I'm going to be like, you probably are. But if they have an eclectic mix or a variety of people that they hang out with, and I could, I could say that the person's full of crap. The other thing, Joe, is the one thing that I like is the Marine Corps or the military in general, because when I joined the military, I came from a, a certain part of California. Okay. The school I went to was primarily white, just mm-hmm. where we lived. We yeah. lived in a rural community. When you join the military, you deal with people who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds than you did, and you're forced to room together. They didn't say, I want to room with, no, you're rooming with this person. And I have great friends from all different backgrounds. So it's just like during World War II, there was one guy who grew up in the South. He said, I'd never met somebody who was black until I was a shipmate with somebody who was black. Mm -hmm. And we became the best of friends and we were lifelong friends. It's just, it depends where you're at and what you're placed is also changes your view on some of that stuff. But that's why I like the military because it forces you to get out of your comfort zone and meet people with different backgrounds than you. Yeah. And that's how our, that's our stance on, you know, how we're looking at things today. Yeah. But the whole thing is this crime issue, which we're going back to It's more, it has to be more than just looking at law enforcement. The former police chief of Dallas a couple of years ago, when those five police officers were shot and killed, he's now the superintendent of Chicago said, you want the police to be everything. We can't. We need help from you all on all these different other issues. But that's not being discussed. It's either one or the other. And we're going to be dealing with this next summer. And I think the Democratic Party is kicking and screaming into this debate because they want to talk about just police reform. And now you have this uptick in crime. And then a lot of police officers are like, morale is really low. They don't want to be proactive. They're leaving the force in droves. So it's not just the beat cop. It's all those who've gained experience, move on to detective and the investigative and even the beat cop. There's someone that spends his whole career as a patrol officer. Think of all the experience he gains and learns about how to be a patrol officer. So what are the Democrats? What's their platform for 2022? What are they going to be running on? What's their their motivation or their kind of? I think right now it's two things. We got the vaccine out, even though that started with warp speed under Donald Trump and the economy. They don't want to talk about anything else. 
because everything else isn't looking too good. But is the economy doing well? It's coming back, but there's hiccups along the way. We just don't know. The Federal Reserve and the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's thinking inflation is a transitory thing. It'll ebb itself out come the fall. But we're also seeing high price of gas, groceries, utilities, used cars, new car, commodity prices. Everything has gone up. Yeah. And if they're wrong, we got a problem here. Yeah. So we'll have to see what's hap- What's the issue today could be different. What's the issue in 2022? Yeah, but that's right around the corner. So they're going to start framing it now. But if this crime issue doesn't go away, it puts the, de- the Democrats on the, a big defensive because in New York, the mayor that won the primary, and it goes against the Republican challenger. He ran on a crime, anti-crime platform, not defund the police. So we'll yeah. have to see how this plays out. All right. Yeah. Uh, be on the lookout for our Patreon and a live stream. Once we get a little bit of, we're going to get, we're going to, someone's going to teach us how to uh, live stream so that we can be more active in our live stream. You guys can actually see how ugly we are. And uh, John, how else can they get a hold of us? You can go to Ubaldi reports at gmail.com. That's Ubaldi reports at gmail.com. Or you can go to YouTube, excuse me, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you go to Facebook, check out Ubaldi reports group and you get to see us there. So we'd love to hear from you. What you think of these podcasts and how we can get more of the message out there for what's going on in America domestically and internationally. All right, everybody keep on listening and we will talk to you soon. All right, take it easy and keep listening to Ubaldi reports. Thank you.